Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Jessica Bailey. Jessica is the founder and CEO of Greenworks Lending. Greenworks provides financing for commercial real estate properties to improve their energy consumption and renewable energy infrastructure. The company has worked with hotels, office buildings, restaurants, and shops, encouraging greener real estate in 19 states across the U.S. Greenworks makes clean energy a smart decision for property owners, both financially and environmentally. Jessica's background is in combating climate change and promoting clean energy at the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. Welcome, Jessica. We're so glad to have you. Thanks. I'm happy to be with you today. So I want to kick it off by touching on your background a little bit. It's mostly been in policy work to support clean energy use in the U.S. and around the world. I would love for you to tell us why you shifted your focus to real estate and the story of how you founded Greenworks Lending. Absolutely. So you're, you're quite right to note that my background really comes out of a policy environment. And my first job out of graduate school was really trying to advance global and national policies that would combat climate change. And we found it very challenging to figure out ways at the global and national level to politically pass policies that would drive down carbon emissions. And so we ended up working at the state level in the U.S. And that was where I discovered PACE financing, Property Assessed Clean Energy, and the policy uh that I now lend through was really innovated because of the lack of action at the national level. And, and so the policy background led me to become enamored with this policy that ultimately allows for private capital to come into the real estate sector and help building owners reduce the energy consumption of their buildings. Can you break that down for us when you say private capital coming in? Um, tell us a little bit more about how you raise capital to lend through the PACE program? Sure. Essentially, what the policy framework does at the state level is really quite simple. It, it allows for the same type of financing that we've used in the United States for years to finance things like sewers and sidewalks and fire districts to be applied towards clean energy. So essentially, this policy says clean energy in our state you name it. Um, our state allows for the public benefit assessment system to be used for clean energy. And it's a very powerful way to allow for capital providers like Greenworks Lending, my company, to invest in a secure investment environment, allowing our loans to be secured by the real estate tax assessment and paid back as a surcharge on a tax bill over 20 or 30 years. So again, it's very similar to the way we finance other public benefits in the United States and its application towards clean energy was really the innovation that uh, our company has been built upon. Interesting. So it actually is uh, it's government funds? You know, it's not government funds, and that's what makes it such a scalable solution. Um, it is a government framework 
So it is a government rule that you can use this type of public benefit assessment collection mechanism to secure financing. But the financing comes from private companies. Companies like ours bring in money from insurance companies or other institutions that have an interest in sustainability and an interest in clean energy. But until PACE financing, really, they didn't have a a framework that allowed for the security of the loans that they need to make. So it's the government putting in place a framework and a policy environment that allows for companies like ours to put capital to work. Got it. So the the company's message over overarchingly is that saving energy is smart business. Can you tell us a little bit more about why businesses should and real estate owners should think about issues like clean energy and incorporating green practices into their development? So energy consumption in buildings in the US is the largest contributor to climate change in our country. And that is a motivator for many building owners, but it can't necessarily drive a business decision. And so what we've been endeavoring to do at Greenworks is sort of removing the either or between doing something that's good for the environment and doing something that's good for your bottom line as a business owner. And the type of financing that we provide to building owners allows them to access long-term fixed rate attractive capital to do clean energy improvements to their buildings which drive down the cost to operate that building. So what we can do is allow them to reduce their utility bills, reduce the consumption of energy they use through the type of of upgrades they're doing. And that can be anything from replacing their windows to swapping out their HVAC system or their rooftop units to put in more highly efficient equipment. The payback period on those things um, can be long dated. And so our financing matches the life of that equipment, allowing them to see the savings from the energy reduction and their utility bill savings as they pay back this loan that they take out from companies like ours. So it really allows them to cash flow right away, um, borrowing money from us, not having to go out of pocket. And so it solves what's been a huge barrier to business owners across the country when they're trying to make long-term decisions about their building and, and haven't had a great financing way to make sure that they're able to do what is smart from an environmental perspective, which is also smart from the bottom line of their business. And do you frequently find misalignment in those incentives between the landlords and the tenants? For example, if the tenants are on the hook for the energy bill, do the landlords, you know, care less about making those changes or is that something that you're also involved with or could shed some light on how that works? Yeah, that's one of the the bigger barriers in tenant-occupied buildings. Those in the industry call it the split incentive problem. And what they're referring to and what you're talking about here is that a building owner may not be inclined to do something that is good for the energy consumption of the building if they're not going to see the benefit of the utility bill drop because their tenant is, is paying those utility bills. The way PACE financing works, the type of financing that we provide, because it's collected on the property tax bill, a lot of owners in many of the leases that we look at are able to pass through the utility bill savings from the improved building that they're borrowing money to do, but also pass through the pro rata share of the property tax assessment increase that repays our financing. So it really solves that split incentive problem, that barrier that you're describing where 
an owner of a building may not want to do something where they're they're feeling the pain of it but not getting any of the benefit of the improved building. Interesting. Thank you. So just pinpointing an example, your financing services help buildings to reduce emissions and become more resilient against storms. Um, we just had a 16-mile-long tornado here in Dallas, and um, while luckily neither Ed or I were affected by that, um, driving around and seeing what that can do to buildings is just you know, incredible and terrifying at the same time. Um, so I, I imagine that there are kind of some secondary benefits of, of the work that you do, but just it would be great for us to know more about who are the beneficiaries, how do you think about the beneficiaries of your work, whether they're intentional or unintentional? So we think of ourselves as working with several different stakeholder groups. So the first and the most obvious is the building owner to whom we make a clean energy loan, allowing them to improve their building, reduce their energy consumption, or produce clean energy. Um, so that's the most obvious beneficiary. But we also work through a set of channel partners, many of whom are contractors, and, and they are going into buildings and figuring out ways to improve their HVAC equipment or their lighting or put solar on the roof. And these sort of intermediaries, these contractors that are doing the work are a, a big beneficiary of our type of financing because we're allowing them to do more projects because we're taking away the challenge that they often have, which is that a a building owner doesn't necessarily have the money or, or want to use their money to pay for the, the upgrade that they're going to do. And the third, I would say, is really the public sector. So I mentioned our company really operates through this public-private partnership, which is the PACE policy. And ultimately, what the public sector is trying to do by passing these policies is to create a, a kind of environment in which they're businesses can access attractive financing. And so we're allowing them to meet some economic development goals that they might have while also very obviously helping them meet some environmental commitments that they, they may have at the state and the local level. So we really think of it as both building owners, contractors, and then in a large degree, the public sector. Do the utilities get involved in your process at all? Well, they sure do because most States have utility rebate programs where if you're going into your building and you're replacing your lighting or you're putting in a new, more highly efficient system, um, the utilities will provide you incentives to do that, either in the form of uh, a rebate up front or over time, as the case may be with solar, where they actually will oftentimes pay you to produce solar to help them offset some of their renewable energy commitments. And so most of the projects that we have financed have been done with utility incentive programs being involved with them. They also become really interesting partners for us as we're thinking about ways to make sure that the type of financing we offer is made known to building owners. Because if you are the owner of a large building and you're thinking of doing uh, an energy upgrade or trying to bring your building into kind of the next generation, if you've got an older building, Oftentimes, the first call you make is to your utility uh, company, and you're, you've got a customer service representative there that can help walk you through the rebates and incentives you might be eligible for, and they become great lead sources for us because they will let a building owner know that if they're thinking of doing some upgrades to their buildings, they may want to consider Greenworks financing to help them pay for it. Greenworks has been around for five years. Tell us a little bit more about the scale and, and the growth of the company, how many 
borrowers or borrowers are you working with? How many cities are you operating in? So Greenworks was founded in 2015, and we really were born out of a state program in Connecticut, which is obviously a very small state. And the reason we decided to create Greenworks was because we were starting to see what an outsized impact we were having in Connecticut and felt fairly committed and, and bullish that we would be able to have similar impact around the country. So in 2015, we had the, the sort of simple goal of trying to do what we had done in Connecticut in a handful of states around the country that had the same type of policy environment that Connecticut has. And in that first year, our goal was really simple, just try and get a, a loan closed outside the state of Connecticut. And we were successful in doing that. The second year, our aspirations grew and we wanted to see um, you know, how many other states we could add and how many other types of building owners we could go after. So five years in, we're operating now in 20 states around the country. Um, we have financed gosh, probably close to 500 projects across the country, everything from small HVAC replacements to really large renovations or, or new construction that integrates sustainable design. And, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're quite proud of the impact we've had on greenhouse gas emissions as we've been able to scale our mission and also the fact that we're able to offer commercial real estate owners and developers a really attractive way to finance clean energy within their building. What I love about your company is that the social impact is truly at the center of your business model. Um, what, what for you have been kind of the most profound effects of that and, and what has motivated you to run your business? So it's really funny. I, I hardly think of myself as a private sector person because my background was first in the nonprofit sector and then the public sector. Um, but I think what really led me into the private sector was the recognition that in order to scale the types of solutions that we're going to need when it comes to combating climate change, you really have to figure out a way to unlock private capital. There just simply isn't enough public sector or nonprofit resources out there to get the, the massive scale of the energy transformation in this country that we're going to need to see. And so it really, as I mentioned, started with a, a kind of policy idea. It moved into a public sector program. And now I think what motivates me is really seeing the fact that we haven't had to make choices between doing what is smart from a company perspective and, and growing our business and doing what feels right from a mission perspective. And we've been able to keep both of those things pretty core to, to what we've been doing since we started five years ago. I wanted to touch a little bit on perhaps a story of a, a borrower that was not convinced about making changes, um, making greener choices with their building. Uh, is there anything that you can kind of highlight without obviously naming names for us and how you convince them to come on as a borrower? Sure. I think that the most obvious examples I can think of are some of the building owners that have ended up putting solar on their roof. And oftentimes these owners are motivated not necessarily by clean energy or sustainability goals, but really by kind of cash flow, right? They see their jobs as returning capital to investors or producing revenue for their, um, for their clients. And what we've seen is the fact that Greenworks allows for a building owner to not have to go out of pocket at all and, and to borrow money from us to do improvements that ultimately improve the cash flow of a building 
has been really the, the reason a lot of the owners that we've seen move to solar have done so. And so we, you know, we'll talk to owners regularly and say, you know, I, I like the idea of solar, but listen, if I'm going to be spending money on anything, it's going to be to, to buy the building next door or, or kind of launch a new product line or hire more people or buy a new fleet of trucks or whatever is sort of core to their business. And, and clean energy is often not core to their business. And frankly, it shouldn't be core to their business. It should be something that is made easier for them to do because of good policy frameworks and good financing options. And so I've been really proud of the fact that our company has made it a no-brainer for a lot of these building owners to make the decision to go solar or to put in a building management system that can dramatically reduce the consumption of a building, not because these owners were thinking about polar bears or saving the world, but really because they recognized it was both a smart business decision as well as something that was good for the environment. It's so interesting, especially when you get to those automated building control systems, which there's just so many old ones out there. And, you know, when you're looking to put in place a, a some kind of maybe peak demand management solution or something like that, and it just can't interface with the BACnet standards or any of the other standards, it can be really challenging for those companies to, to, to buy those units. Uh, do you do automated building s- systems? We do, absolutely. So if you've got a building, particularly one with a whole bunch of different tenants that may have different needs or different demands within their units, um, it becomes really important. And the, the savings numbers on what these types of systems can do for large office buildings is really dramatic. Um, but it is expensive to get them installed. And so if you can solve that upfront challenge that an owner has about whether or not to do it by providing them with attractive financing, um, the, the kind of even short-term payback that they see is quite dramatic. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. I'm an investor in another company called DemandQ based out of Boston, and we do software, software as a service-based peak energy demand, and we're always running into the, to the uh, building management system, or the BAS, I guess they call it, the building automation system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're always yeah. running into that as, as an obstacle, and it's interesting. I'd never considered this possibility before. So maybe we should hook up after this call. Absolutely. And I think just high, it was, it's great to hear that because you really highlight well the win-win because energy use is the single largest operating expense for commercial office buildings. And I think when you align your offering with, with them saving money, it's, as you said, it's a, it's a no-brainer. That's right. I think the the idea that most building owners have is that they know they ought to do something. They know that there are probably quote unquote dollar bills lying on the floor when it comes to switching out their lights or, or kind of replacing old windows, but they just don't have the kind of short term ability to make a, a large capital outlay to do that improvement, especially when the payback is going to be, you know, sometimes seven, 10, even 15 years with some of this larger equipment. And so when you've got a CFO whose job it is to think of kind of a three and five year time horizon on return on capital, it's almost impossible for them to make the decision to do something that is kind of medium and long-term smart, but perhaps short-term painful. And that's what Greenworks is really designed to do, to take out that dichotomy of having to make a decision that is short-term smart and long-term smart and medium-term smart. And I think that the availability of our type of financing has allowed owners to make what what ends up feeling like a no-brainer decision by borrowing money from us to invest in their buildings and seeing the 
short, medium, and long-term benefits. Yeah, I'd like to switch gears a little bit and point out that in the finance space, it's rare to see two female co-founders. I know you've created also a a culture that encourages diversity. Um, And when you're thinking about your company culture as a CEO, how have you created that balance? It's a great question. It's one we we think about a lot without having the ability to answer it very well. I think in some ways we've been really fortunate in having attracted a super talented and mission-driven staff that comes to this work wanting to work between what is oftentimes a personal passion around clean energy or sustainability, but also a a sort of business instinct and wanting to do something with their professional lives that is going to create kind of, success and and create productivity along the way. And I think we've been sitting at that nexus in a way that's allowed us to to bring in some really high-performing people within our company. Um, We do have a lot of women. We we get kind of joked about the the kind of quote-unquote Greenworks girls, and there are a lot of us women in the company. And and it wasn't, frankly, by design. I think it had to do a lot with the fact that my partner, Allie, and I are both women, and we started it. And There are a whole bunch of theories that if you have enough women, enough critical mass, it becomes easier to get more and more of it. Um, So I think we've we've benefited from the fact that Allie and I have made it feel, you know, certainly like there is no ceiling on what women can do in our company as there ought not be in any company. But but it's allowed us to bring in a lot of the gender diversity um, that we've seen. And I think we're really excited about that and continuing to grow it. Um, We've also got a relatively young team. And I think with that comes a whole bunch of energy and fresh ideas and kind of new ways of both working and thinking that has allowed us to be really nimble and, and kind of keep up with the fast growth of pace of this industry and stay at the forefront of it. What are some other aspects of your company culture that you're most proud of? So we do our best to try and embrace a, a sort of culture of constant improvement. So when you're a, a young company, there are no rules written when you start. And, and we brought on a, a young man last week and he was lamenting how he didn't know anything about pace financing. And I told him, listen, we've never hired anyone in this company who ever knew anything about pace financing before they started here. And so the fact that we are a new company in a new industry doing new things, I think has allowed us to, um, to have that kind of innovative culture that people aren't afraid to make mistakes, or at least I hope they're not afraid to make mistakes because that's really what helps us learn. We've got a a culture that kind of encourages us to look for ways to do what we do better and smarter. Uh, One of the hard things about kind of the mission drivenness of Greenworks is that people work really hard and we're, you know, we're working more hours, I think, than most of us would like. And so in order to have the type of impact we want, both in terms of how our business is performing, but also in terms of how much we're contributing to climate change solutions, we've got to constantly be looking for ways to do what we do more efficiently and more effectively. And so we've got a whole culture of folks that are constantly bringing up new ideas on how to, how to, you know, do, do deals more quickly or cut out steps or inject uh, automation or think through kind of technological advances that we might be able to bring into our company to help us work more effectively across departments. And that's been really fun to see. Have There's a typical tension 
uh, when when companies are purpose driven, and that is as they grow, it's harder to keep hold of the social impact. Uh, at the surface level, it seems like what you do at GreenWorks has a, a very close tie to the social impact of of the business, and and that's at the core of your company. But is there any nuance, or are there any ways that you? felt that it's been hard to grow and scale the, the business and, and kind of keep hold of your original vision? So I realized about six months ago that I personally wasn't doing as effective a job as I needed to in letting newer people that were joining the team understand kind of our story as a company and why we why we founded it and what we're doing and where we see ourselves going. And I think it was a, a wake up call to me when one of the newer people came in and said, you know, I've never, I've never really heard you tell the story of the why of, you know, why DreamWorks? Why do you think this type of financing can change the, change the world? And I think it was a big wake up call to me when we got to, you know, 30, 35 people, you, you do start to forget that the newer people coming into the company that weren't kind of present at the creation might not know that. And so what we try and do more often now, um, certainly with all of the new people that are coming in, is sit down, my partner and I, to to tell them the story of you know what we were what we were trying to accomplish, where we think we've made real progress, where where we want to be heading with this, and try and make sure that that mission and and sort of the goal of the company stays central. Um, I think it's really easy, as you know, to to let that slide, and and frankly, as somebody who is busier than I would like to be, it, it's really easy for me to to kind of take a pause on thinking about that and, and just sort of crunch through the days without pulling up and recognizing that actually one of my one of my jobs and one of the things I ought to be doing is making sure that that mission stays central and, and sort of core to both who we're bringing in and how we're bringing them into the, the kind of family of the company here. So we're trying to do that a bit better now, but I, I do think when we went from kind of 12 people to 30 people over a course of a couple of months, we, we lost a bit of it. And, and so we're sort of regaining our footing on that right now. So you have about 30 people now? Actually, we're about 36 people right now spread across a couple offices. And how big do you expect to get in the next year or so? Well, in the next year or so, I think we'll, we'll certainly be adding a few people as our, as our scale continues to move around the country. Um, I think the industry is still very much in its early stages. I think we're, we're probably like the toddler age in, in terms of the industry when you think about how much uh, there is to do by way of upgrading existing buildings and, and bringing our type of financing into new development. There's really a, a very, very large addressable market. And our goal is to be a financing solution that's available to every building owner who wants to consider it. And so that suggests quite a bit of scale with it. Um, in terms of hiring, we've almost doubled in size in the last 12 months. I don't expect us to do that exactly again <laughs> in the next 12, um, but certainly we'll be, we'll be bringing on new team members. We're actually recruiting a few folks right now. If anyone is interested, check out our webpage. We're, we're looking for some talented people to join us. Um, but our, our scale is really, we think, measured in, the number of buildings that we're financing, the amount of greenhouse gas emissions we're reducing, and the amount of clean energy we're consuming. And so I think our our contribution to that is is still smaller than I would like. So I'm, I'm very eager to see us continue to grow very quickly. That's so interesting as we think about the growth in, in staff and company culture. I know in my last company, when we went from 30 to 100 people, there was a big shift in 
the way that I had to communicate our, our core values and our mission to people. It was much more formal and much more written, and it was on posters. And it didn't <laughs> feel like that authentic coming from my heart that you know we used to do when, when we just had a small group of people and we'd rally around. And just almost over a, over a dinner, you could, you could share the company's values. And so that's, that's an exciting period you've got ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, it does. You, you sort of the shorthand that you've used to build the company from, you know, two people to 15 people needs to become longhanded. And you know, we spent a lot of time over the last couple of months trying to document, you know, how we do things. There was sort of this tribal knowledge about, you know, what we do and how we do it and, and even the why we do it, that it felt like we all knew for a while. And then as you you kind of get newer people in, you realize that it doesn't transmit as well in the shorthand. And so there are structures that Thankfully, we've got some talented people helping us put in place here, and, and I, you know, I think we're doing all right by way of turning from 15 to 30 to, to 60, but, um, but certainly there's bumps along the way, and, and it does change, but I think that change and sort of the, the close-knit family feel of a small company is replaced by the excitement of feeling the increase in impact and the fact that what you're doing actually has caught on in a way that, that means growth is almost inevitable. That's really exciting. As... A leader of a purpose-driven company that is on a exciting growth trajectory, is there any advice that you would give to aspiring leaders that want to incorporate purpose into their businesses? Gosh, I never feel like I'm equipped to give anyone advice because it seems like what, you know, what works for one might not work for another. But I will say um, it is it's stressful to try and create something that needs to both have a, a business sense to it and actually make money and also keep mission and purpose at its core. And I think trying to figure out ways to, um, to kind of have fun along the way and to surround yourself with people that you enjoy working with and you trust, uh, that for me has been the reason that this has worked the way it has. Is You know, my partner and I were really lucky in a lot of ways with the people that came in to help us build the ship as we've been sailing it here and the kind of ability to laugh at things that, <laughs> that go wrong, even as you're trying to fix them and, and feel as though there's a, a sense that everyone's got each other's back and we're, we're kind of all accountable to one another, I think has helped a lot to, to kind of keep, keep us moving forward and, and sort of alleviate some of what, what can be a really stressful and difficult thing to do, which is the, to start a business and to start a business that isn't just about printing money, but about trying to do something that's a little bit bigger than that. Well, I have one last question. I, yeah, I was, I was really interesting. Um, I thought it was interesting this question about the policy perspective and um, like what challenges remain to make this policy more, more prevalent in other States. Is it, do you think that's an automatic or is there something people should be doing to activate this policy in, in their local areas? And, and which ones do you think are the most important sort of on the list for, for the country? So PACE policy is a policy that's been passed in 38 states around the country. So we've had some really positive tailwinds on this type of policy. And in part, it's because it sort of splits itself between being a policy that Democrats can get behind because it's about clean energy and a policy that Republicans can get themselves behind because it's about private enterprise and, and sort of commercial activity. 
And so we've been able to to get this policy passed in blue states and red states and purple states. And I think we've we've been kind of excited to see how fast this has spread around the country. But there are some parts of the country that don't have it. Um, there's some parts of the southeast where I would love to be able to offer our financing. Places like the Carolinas and Tennessee. Um, there's a couple of places in, uh, out west that haven't got PACE policy. The best thing to do would be to go to the PACE Nation website. That is the nonprofit industry association that advances PACE policies across the country. Full disclosure, I'm on the board, but they are a great organization. And if you're interested in this type of policy and this type of financing, um, they're a great place to, to figure out what's available. And if there isn't PACE policy available, um, they're a, a great kind of advocate to getting it done. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. And my, my close friend, Fran Siegel, who's at the Impact Investing Alliance, likes to say that impact investing sells across the aisle, which I think you illustrated really well here. Um, and is a not, it's not a non-divisive topic as well. Absolutely. Well, we're sitting here overlooking downtown Dallas. I look forward to a, a time when all of these buildings are, are using greener strategies and, and working with you, hopefully. And thank you once again, Jessica, for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. It's been great. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.